Well, hello there. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you to you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. We've so much to squeeze in from the weekend, so let's get on with it. And it's a mad world, but we're head over heels with Roland Orzabal and Kurt Smith, a.k.a. Tears for Fears. They're back with a brand new album, The Tipping Point. Chef Marcus Waring fills us in about his new BBC series, Tales from a Kitchen Garden. And Johannes Radebe swaps strictly for the stage as he's talking about his new nationwide tour, Freedom. Show chef Martha gets seriously sticky and goes bonkers with batter. Mm, pancakes. And it's finally back. Will someone win a Graham Norton gift box in Guess the Guest? But first, let's catch up with Maria and solve some more of your problems in Graham's Guide. Does that mean it's time for me? Yes, it does. Is it my time? It's, it's my time. That was in the Eurovision Song Contest. Yes, it was. Andrew Lloyd Webber and... Uh... Uh, Jade. Jade sang it. Yeah. She, she sang it. And now, who who did he write it with? Diane, uh, uh, very famous. It came fourth. Diane Warren. Diane Warren. Okay, yeah. good. Well done. Yeah. Well done, you, Maria. Yeah, thanks. It's still, um, all, in, it's still all in there. Somewhere. <laughs> who knows when it's going to come out at all? Graham, I must say um, quickly uh, farewell to my local uh, landlord, David Sansbury, who sadly died last week. He's been there of the doom and gloom. Actually, that's what we used to call it. Hilariously, the doom and gloom. It's called the horse and groom in St Leonard's. He'd been there for 30 years and the pub has been there since 1829. And I think it's still got the same carpet. I'm not sure. Probably. Um, but anyway, farewell, David. He was a great follower of the show. He used to listen to us at the old place. And then he finally got the app to listen to us here Aww. and would have chats with me about it. So he will be sorely missed. And did he get a great send off or is he going to get a great send off? Uh, he hasn't got one yet. Oh, but uh, he will. But, yeah. He will. I yes. think, I think they're, they're more keen to reopen the pub. So they're trying to change the licence name. Um, so in, in the meantime, David will have to wait for his send-off. I think he would have approved. Yes. I mean, he'll want his pub to be open. Can I just tell you, on the train this morning, changing the subject mercifully, um, there was a man on the train who got out on his little sort of you know, table, um, Vaseline, scissors, tweezers, OK? Yes. And beard he had, and uh, hair, obviously, and eyelashes, uh, eyebrows. And he probably spent half the journey, it was about 40 minutes, doing Vaselining his beard, trimming his beard and eyebrows, and, you know, sort of beautifying hair. And I was saying, goodness me, you know, people talk about women doing this. But I was saying, why is it when people get on a train, they think they become invisible? I, I was reading a very good book, and yet I could not take my eyes off this beautifying routine. But was it worth beautifying? I mean, was he good? Was he beautiful in the end? No, really. He, he, I feel he could have saved himself the trouble. But I feel maybe the whole point of this was so he could stare at himself in his phone mirror. Because he was holding it up, you know, to him, and I was watching him, uh, you know, as he did it, as he trimmed... Who trims a beard on a train? That does seem an odd thing to do. I mean, I have seen people cutting their toenails on a train. Well, I mean, you know... You've got oh, to... that's absolutely <laughs> not allowed. I would like to know what the weirdest thing you... is people have seen on a train. Don't, they'll tell us. Yeah, no, I, I, I really don't want to know. I'll actually listen in if they do. <laughs> How's your week been? Very good show on the television uh, medium. Thank you very much. Available on iPlayer. It was our last one of the season, so we had our little wrap dinner last night. We had a wrap dinner. Oh, yeah. Where did, where did you Where did you all wrap? We I've did. been on the Graham Norton <laughs> show. Now it's time for me to go. Live Church at the top Maria. of the tower. We'll be playing that again. Listen yeah. again on the app. Um, uh, we went out for a very posh dinner. It was very nice. It was all a bit weird because, of course, you know, COVID 
be gone. So uh, town was nuts and we were and did you have to stump up, you being the main man and all that, stump up the cost? Well, I suppose eventually it came out of my pocket, yes. <laughs> it's your company at the moment. Yeah. So, yes, I could have I could have uh, walked away with that money, but no, we fed we fed the children and, uh, yeah. And I didn't, I was because I was working this morning, of course, I didn't indulge overly. So, you know. That is very, very good of you, Graham. Not like the olden days. I know, because normally nothing would stop you having a good night. Yes. Can I say that? You, you can. Out loud. Yeah, you can. But now, I mean, do you think it's the creeping age thing and knowing that actually a hangover now needs hospitalisation <laughs> and a drip and also, rather than a cup of strong coffee and something eggy on a tray? And I think it's that thing, isn't it? You know, It's the regret. You kind of think it wasn't, the fun wasn't worth this. Yeah. I think that's what when it is. When does that slow change happen? When you kind of go, oh, it was a great night, but and I feel awful, but it was well deserved or something like that. You yeah, know? I would say mid-50s. Yeah, they never tell you about that. They never tell you that there'll be a point where you can't drink as much as you did in your 20s. Oh, no, don't, if... no, don't, don't get me wrong. What? I can still drink how much. <laughs> but I you... just choose not to. Yeah, but you would have to go to hospital. Uh, probably, yes. Uh, but also, isn't it, if only we could figure that out when we were younger, that actually the hangover isn't going to be worth it. You know, pace your fun. Yeah, but the hangovers when you're 20 are fine. Have something eggy on a tray and you're fine. You know, uh, I used to go stay out all night and then go to work in the morning. <laughs> There's people lying in bed now with terrible hangovers going, stop talking about Shut my up. hangover. Yeah, my tip. <laughs> and where's my eggy thing on a tray? <laughs> yes, exactly. Where's the maid to bring me something nice? Well, well done for being so abstemious and you look very fresh. You don't Do look you know, a day they, over they did 45. A little, they did a little uh, video, a little video of me for the social medias and uh, I didn't look as wretched as I thought I would. I, I, as they were filming, I was thinking, yeah, I'm not going to want to see this. It wasn't as bad as I was expecting. Well, the lighting isn't too bad in here, whereas I did one out there uh, the lighting's very bad. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh. I hope it's deleted. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to search for it now and retweet it. Search uh, for the hero inside yourself. <laughs> uh, all right, you find some letters. Virgin Radio. Here she is now, boys. Please don't do the German. <laughs> no, that was my that was my Anna Delvey. You know, the, have oh, you seen him yes. together? Yeah, inventing Anna. My it's foundation. A, it's a very weird accent. It's meant to be a mix of German, Russian, and American, and she does it well. My but foundation. It, it's hard to listen to. Okay, I'm going to read a letter. No, I understand. I'm trying to explain the business. Stop it. <laughs> I'm going to read a letter so we stop doing Anna Delvey. I'm doing the whole rest of the show as Anna Delvey. Okay, good. See how I'll many. Gonna, I'll interview Tears of Fear. Tears of Fear. As, as Anna Delphi. Would like, you like to put money into my foundation? <laughs> so tears for fears. <laughs> Here's a letter. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, I am a woman in my late 50s. My two children are at university and I've been married to my husband for nearly 30 years. He's a good, kind man, but I feel there is no love left in the marriage. I have thought for many years that I may be happier out of this marriage, but also can't bear the thought of being responsible for breaking up the family unit. If we did split up, I'm not sure I would be looking for another partner and I quite like the idea of being single. However, about five years ago, I met a woman who has become a close friend. She's single with a teenage daughter. We get on really well, regularly meeting for coffee and walks and she doesn't know this, but I've developed romantic feelings for her. 
This came as a great surprise to me, as I've never had a relationship with a woman before. I know her previous relationships have been with men, and I have no reason to believe she feels the same way. My feelings seem genuine, but I don't feel I can tell anyone about this. I can't do anything about it because I'm married, and although she is very lovely, a very lovely non-judgmental person, I wouldn't want to risk losing the friendship. I thought about going to a counsellor, but don't want my husband to think it was an odd thing to do. I'm torn. I'm in a loveless marriage, albeit with a good, kind man, and don't want to rock the boat. But I also don't want to waste my one life and this opportunity to explore and find happiness. And that is from Louisa in Oxford. Thank you, Louisa, for sending this quite lengthy letter. And I really do feel for you, but your last sentence really says it all, Louisa. I don't want to waste my one life and this opportunity to explore and find happiness. Now, it's been some time that you've been unhappy with your partner. You've met this woman five years ago. You know, sometimes we have to be brave and step up and change life. I mean, I would say... Is it because are you projecting your romantic feelings onto this woman because you feel so thwarted in your family life? Um, you know, there's two things going on here and that's what's stopping you. I think you have to leave your marriage, number one. Uh, maybe don't tell this woman, but you say she's not judgmental. There's no reason she should react badly to you saying it's crazy. You know, why don't you start with saying something like, look, I'm, I'm leaving my husband. I don't think I want another husband. I may prefer a wife. You know, test the water a bit. She's not making any moves on you, obviously, because you're married, as you say. So as far as this five-year friendship has gone, you both have things in place to stop anything happening. So if you take those things out of place, then some thing may happen but really Louisa in Oxford uh, two things there one is your feeling for this lady and one is your unhappy marriage you have to be the person to change it nobody else is going to come along and help you here yeah I mean well I think someone else should come along and help Who? Louisa a counsellor or somebody because I think there's so much going on there's so much going on here Louisa I think you it's very hard to focus on what you should deal with first, first. Yeah. if you are developing feelings for this woman and you're thinking oh my sexuality isn't what I thought it was that's a huge change in your life if you're if you're very unhappy in your marriage and you want to end it that's a huge change in your life but are they related are they you know are they two are these two separate things mm. is it all mm. my, I really think she should talk to someone and and pick this apart because did she become unhappy? Did her marriage, did she start thinking of her marriage as loveless when she met this woman five years ago? Is that when it happened? I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I just, yeah. I, They've I been worry... together for 30 years. So, I mean, people do run out of steam and, and men and women change as they get older at different rates, I think. But, I, you know, the whole thing of seeing a counsellor and she says, I've don't want my husband to think it's an odd thing to do. Why do you need to tell your husband, Louisa in Oxford, that you're going to a counsellor? You you know, you're a person with your own individuality. You don't have to tell him everything. Well, I would tell him because, again, it at least would flag up something's up. And, and But he it, might say, oh, shall I come with you? <laughs> Well, and is that a good thing too? Well, maybe. It's a, we, and also, I think if he, if she says I want to go to counselling, I've got a lot going on in my head. Da, 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 it might be a way to open up a conversation with him, True. where he suddenly goes, "Oh right, oh okay, I had no idea that we were at this stage where you were so unhappy you want to see a counsellor." I, I just think 
it's a it's too much for Louisa. Like just in this letter, the way she she's talking about her marriage and then you know plot twist. Suddenly, there's this woman she met five yes, years ago. Yes. You know, I just think it's so complicated and it's so horse cart. All of that. It could be that she's projecting onto this yes, woman. Because... And I, yes, and I and I worry that you know you walk away from your marriage thinking I'm going to have this wonderful time with this woman, and that doesn't happen, and then you're kind of like, oh, what have I done? Yeah. Uh, I just think it's it's I. I would move very slowly here. I mean, I always think you should deal with the relationship you're in before you start dealing with a relationship you're not That's in. That's very true and good advice. But I think she has to address something, and maybe you're right, do the counselling. Have somebody to, you know, help you through the great big kind of maze of emotions you're feeling. Yes. I, mean, I mean, you know, she likes her husband. He's a good, kind man. There's just no spark. There may not be any further spark with anyone else. That's but the is, problem, isn't it? It is extraordinary. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this does happen. But it, it, to me, it seems extraordinary that you've been married for 30 years and it was only after 25 years you had uh, a spark of a feeling uh, towards, another, towards another woman. I know lots of women who have been married and then decide that they're going to, you know, spend the rest of their life with a woman. Who... But do they never have a little inkling at college or anything? Do they never watch the I, hockey team I and go think we're, I think we're much more fluid than we kind of, you know, we people put us in boxes and I think the young folk of today are much better at avoiding those boxes and being a little a bit more fluid. You know, you don't have to be one thing or another. Well, Louisa, it, you, I mean, I feel for you because you are in of, of, you know, this is a kind of a turning point in your life. And as you say, you don't want to waste what's left of your life. Uh, I'm sure Virgin listeners will have advice for you. And my favourite responses today will be receiving <gasps> Waitress and Partners, number one, dark chocolate truffles. <gasps> they are, uh, we're celebrating Waitrose Fair Trade fourth night. Uh, these truffles use Waitrose and Partners single origin chocolate made with fair trade cocoa beans sourced from the Dominican Republic. <gasps> and they've got cream and they're dusted with cocoa powder. Mm. Anyway, they could be yours if I like your responses. All right, here goes. Uh, Steve writes, I think Louisa is beginning to panic a bit. Time flies. If her husband is a good person who loves her, he will understand and help. If he doesn't, then it's time for Louisa to leave. What else can she do? Heather in Beeston says, uh, she needs to spend some time with herself and not jump from one relation to, to another. I must say, I think that is good advice because, yeah don't yes you, you need to sort stuff out in your head before you you involve another person uh, is she happy with her own company talk to a counselor about her feelings towards her friend as they could be genuine or misplaced don't look for happiness in others uh, jane is in leicester my advice is to keep stum single, single life can be free of some obligations but can also be lonely at times too just see what emerges and don't push the river it will find its own course well, that's a nice phrase isn't it don't push the river. Uh, I think Louisa needs to get counselling. She needs to learn to love herself before she gets into any new relationships. Wise words from Andrea in Lincolnshire. And finally, uh, Tony in the world. Louisa, you need to strike out on your own. It's awful, but unfortunately you will break some hearts with the decision. Counselling might help you crystallise your complicated problems, but deal with one issue at a time. Don't overburden your troubled mind. Baby steps. Um, oh, I think I'll give the dark chocolate truffles to Tony. Graham's Guide.
Here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, my parents have been divorced for almost 15 years and both have gone on to have separate relationships with new people. My sister and I both agree it was for the best and everyone is happy with the decision. My dad's new partner has children around our age, which is great too. Everything was going well and then about two years after my dad married his new wife, she suddenly changed. She's decided that my sister and I have upset her, but we have no idea what we have supposedly done, nor does my dad or our stepsisters. She wants us to apologise, but any time we try to work out what we're apologising for, she gets upset and sulks. We were due to spend Christmas together last year and suddenly she decided she would not be joining us and instead went to her sister's. We don't know what to do, what we've done or how to resolve this. Please help. And that is from Penny in Paul. That's quite hard to say on the mic without popping. Penny in Paul. Well, Penny in Paul, this is a difficult one because, you know, when somebody is behaving in a childish way and getting upset and sulking, it's not helpful and you're the children. You have to remember she's meant to be the grown-up. However, you all sound like you're grown-up now, so that's not useful. I think this is something that you're probably not privy to and I think... Uh, your dad has to be proactive in this. I mean, has it been that you've been getting preferential treatment as opposed to her biological children? It's something that really, obviously, hasn't concerned you because you have no idea. You say your dad has no idea, but somebody's got to find out what this is about. And I think your dad, he's married to her. What is it? What have my children done? What can I do to help? Is it something I've done? They're very upset about it. He has to step up here. You cannot just leave this floating. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be resolved. You need to be a family again, a blended family of gorgeousness again, as you were. I mean, I'm as in the dark as you are, Penny. Yeah, from it's Paul. a sudden change, a bit of a head scratcher. But yeah. also, Penny, I would say careless. Careless. If this woman wants to behave like this, I'll let her. And it's up to your dad to care. It's up to your dad to kind of go, what on earth is going on here? Because, you know, if you try to her, she gets into a sulk. And also, I wonder, is Penny is Penny being a bit disingenuous here? She's going, we've no idea what it was. Whereas maybe, does she, do well, you we really have, to have take no her idea? On face value I know. For now. I mean, but to do something like, you know, going, you were meant to all be having a blended family Christmas and suddenly she decided, that is making a big statement for her to not be there and go off and join. And also a stupid move. A, stupid a move a because everyone's move. going, great, I'm glad you're not here because you're a big sulky annoyance. But she wanted someone to notice. This is partly, you know, this is why, they talk about being children again. This is her trying to get some attention for something. Maybe she's just trying to get attention because you are getting too much from your dad. Or I don't know. Is but it a it, will? Is it a will as the father, as the husband not put her kid in the will or something? Oh, I like the fact that we, we put our own spin on these things, Graham. Well, hopefully well, you know, they're not ready to die yet. But. Something, like, it's the sudden change. And I just want to, was when you said about, um, is he giving preferential treatment to his daughters rather than the the stepsister? You know, something weird is going on. And she's, I think that might be very perceptive of you. He's left half to her and then a quarter each to his daughters and nothing for her daughters. Yeah. (gasps) Penny and Paul, are we getting warmer? Has the penny dropped? (laughs) (laughs) In the pool? (laughs) (laughs) 
Go back to talking like Anna Delvey now. Oh, yeah, the pool. <laughs> it's part of my foundation. I've dropped my penny. <laughs> Sorry, Penny from Paul. Um, I think there's more to this, and I think you have to really lean on your dad to find out what yes. it is. I would Suggest say care, what Graham careless. Said. Careless. Well, you don't want no. an unhappy family. No, but, but Penny, Penny and her sister cannot resolve this. So just step back from it and kind of go, our dad is hooked his wagon to that thing. Uh, he needs to sort it out. Um, and we still have our father... Hooked his wagon to that thing? Well, <laughs> clearly, you know, it, it's not an express train to happiness, is it? So, uh, oh, Graham. <laughs> she's having Christmas with her sister. I know. <laughs> That's a different wagon. <laughs> yes, I think the Virgin Radio listeners will be able to help on this one. My favourite responder will get Waiters and Partners, number one, dark chocolate truffles. And just to Louisa, our last person wrote it, you know, uh, good luck. I, I meant to say this at the time. Good luck, because you've got some big, life-changing decisions ahead of you. And, and I do think counselling would be the way forward. It's, you don't want to get it wrong. These are big, big decisions. Uh, Steve in Wisbeach says, Dear Penny... I'm so sorry to say your dad married a brat. That, <laughs> that doesn't help, but it's accurate, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, Brian from Rugby has an interesting solution. He says, I think the stepmom might need HRT. Sounds like she's going through the menopause. HRT might lighten her up a bit. I have no idea if that's true or not, but Brian says so. I mean, why doubt Brian? He lives in Rugby. He must know these things. Paul from Beckham. Maybe Penny and the sister are always talking about their mother and all the happy times they had together before their parents split up. And Cruella is getting fed up. Leave it to the father to get to the bottom of the issue. Don't interfere or you'll bear the wrath of this woman. They're already bearing the wrath of this woman. Uh, Penny, there's nothing you can do. It's up to your dad to sort this out. Prepare yourself for the possibility that he may not do anything. Keep being polite and focus on making your lives as positive as possible. Cleo and Rochford. And final word to Kath in Norfolk. This is impacting the whole family, so should be faced by the whole family. Have a meeting with everyone and ask what the problem is. Stepmom will hopefully be forced to at least come up with a reason for it all, you'd think. Um, I'm. Do you know what? I'm going to give the uh, the truffles to Steve in Wisbeach. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Tears for fears and Roland Orswell and Kurt Smith join me now. Welcome back to the world, gentlemen. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. It's good where, to be where, here. Where, where, where have we been? <laughs> no, really. Where have you been? Uh, uh, aging gracefully <laughs> is where we've been. You're looking great. Looking wow. great and sounding fabulous. The new album, uh, The Tipping Point, is out now. And uh, famously, you know, you had this break, you, you didn't talk, then you got back together and you were yeah. performing again. What took so long to start writing new music? What, what, what delayed that? Well, 2005, we, we released an album called Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, um, which didn't really set the world alight. Um, but we continued to, to play live um, for many, many years. And we went back to being... Um, dads and raising the kids and doing the school run and all that kind of stuff in a sort of semi-retired kind of way. Um, but eventually, we we thought we need some new songs to play live. Yeah, I mean, basically the the idea started from that that we wanted to add some new music because we were playing the same things over and over again. Yeah. Um, and then we went on this strange circuitous journey when um, our, our management at the time and record company at the time wanted us to write and record with like younger producers and sort of drag us kicking and screaming <laughs> into, into the 21st century. Yeah. And um, we spent a few years doing that sort of on and off because we were still touring every year. 
And um, at the end of it, we really didn't feel it was representative of us. So, so over a period of a, a few years, we, we decided we were going to scrap that, kind of start afresh. And, and in that period of time, we'd lost our management, lost our record company. So we were left just the two of us. And then we sat down and sort of forged a path forward and started just writing in, in my house in Los Angeles, just on two acoustic guitars and going back to the way we used to do things when it was kids. the first time, yeah. yeah. First time since The Hurting we've done that. Yeah. Really? So you, yeah. so when you, obviously for The Hurting you sat down, it was two of you guitars, you wrote those songs. Yeah. Yeah. After that, what happened? Was it was it that you were sitting in studios with lots of people and producers and things? Yeah, well, we have yeah. we have worked in teams before. I mean, Songs from the Big Chair was, uh, there were four of us that were extremely influential. Our producer, Chris Hughes, our keyboard player, Ian Stanley. Um, then we went back to the two of us on Seas of Love. Um, but making this album, there have been so many people involved, so many strangers. Um, strangers, and we would walk into the studio and they would already have a prepared backing track, which sounded like one of our old hit singles. <laughs> so, and it was kind of like, it was funny. And you'd come up with um, the melody and lyrics. And, but I think there was too much emphasis on finding a leading track the lead track that's all what it was about and not making an album which was um, expressing what was going on in your life expressing what was going on in the world and that but that's what we've ended up with yeah and this this album is a very personal album yes yeah. and yeah. obviously exploring personal things and personal tragedy yeah. is really difficult is it is it only possible because the two of you have known each other for so well, long? Um, well, in our case, we have a shared history, obviously. I mean, our first band together was when we were 14 years old. Um, you know, and, and the personal tragedy you talk about on this album was the death of, of Roland's wife. And um, that was someone I'd known since I was 13 also. So you can share that kind of, you know, the, yeah. the knowledge yeah. and uh, understand where it's coming from. So, yeah, I think it would be difficult. And also, you know, when you've worked together this long, you have a sort of unspoken bond when you understand someone without actually having to vocalise it, you know. Um, and it, it's so great that you are back together again because I just love that idea of shared history. No yeah, one else exactly. knows what you yeah. guys have been through, but you two do. Yeah. You know, when you stand on stage together, you've got yeah. all that history. In the, the 10 years, when did you start to miss each other? How long did it take to start missing each other? Well, we were doing very different things. Yeah. I mean, a Kurt. I mean, this this is the thing. I'm sure you've seen the Beatles documentary Get Back, yeah. where you see these guys uh, in their late twenties who are just they find it very, very difficult to be with each other, and so you can see them all wanting to explore the world, become an individual, and that's exactly what happened with with. Kurt and I, except there weren't cameras filming it. Uh, <laughs> Thankfully. Thankfully and, there were uh, cameras. So, you know, I, I became a, a parent, uh, came, became a father, obviously, and uh, <laughs> not a mother. And, uh, and I moved to New York. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I was sort of more of on a journey of self-discovery and, and trying to work out as an individual who I was. I mean, that's the problem when you grow up in the public eye, and, and both of us had, obviously. Yeah. You know, we had our first record deal when we were 18. We were 20, 21 when Tears for Fears became big. It's a very young age to, to grow up in the public eye, and we didn't know who we were as individuals yeah. by our late 20s. We were always, like, if we were recognised on the street, aren't you that guy from Tears for Fears? 
careers. Yeah. You were never Kurt Smith, you were never Roland Orzabal. And that, I think, was difficult for us. It's also that weird thing is you can't choose your level of success. No. So when mm. The Hurting came out, you must have thought, we've made it. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're big now. Mm. And then Songs of the Big Chair happened. And, oh, no, no, this is big. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah. Did you, did, was it all gravy or did you feel like you were on a runaway train? We were on definitely on the runaway yeah. train and we were, I think the mistake that uh, we made and our management made was keeping us working. So strike while the iron's hot. We never know when this will end. Make as much money as you can, then get out. And it, it, it was silly. Eight month world tour, playing two albums in exactly the same order every night. And so you're having all these, these great things happen to you, but you don't care about them, you know? Well, you're not experiencing them either. So, you know, your, your schedule is so hectic from morning till night, you're working. And so, you know, people would look at us and go, oh, God, you're traveling the world. Isn't this wonderful? We didn't see any of it because mm. we were just working the whole time. So you don't really get to experience the success. And that, that, that is a big issue. No one gave us the time off to actually enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, you were talking about, you know, not being able to appreciate it. You're now going on this big summer tour. I mean, are you now do you appreciate it? Yeah. Now do you oh, look forward well, to it? We, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, we, it's we treat it differently now because we when we go on the road now, we we give ourselves time off for a start. We don't do too many nights in a row ever. And we don't do press or anything like that on, on the road. We we want to give ourselves time to literally see the cities we're visiting. So uh, it's normally really good fun for us to do it. I mean, I have to say, this does sound like a tourist trail. You are going to the most beautiful places. <laughs> Warwick Castle, Scarborough Open Air Theatre, Tudor Glen, Spitfire Grand. I mean, just gorgeous. Are they, so these are big open air shows. Yeah, yeah they are. And, and uh, it's fantastic. And it's very easy because the audience is in a very, very good mood. And just a little tipsy as well. <laughs> I am. And we, then we have these gorgeous backdrops and it just every gig feels like a special occasion. And I think, am I right, Alison Moyer is on? Yes. yes. And yeah. is there some, there's someone else, but I can't remember. I um, in, the, in the States, it's garbage. Oh, OK. But that's only in America. Alison's with us here and we've toured with Alison before and it's, a, it's actually a great double bill and Alison is wonderful it's and a funny. You like, know. that's a night out. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that the hits there, Alison Moyer and then you guys, that's yeah. um, incredible. Wow. Thank you. And what's the... Are you writing again? Are you still writing? Or have you taken a break now? You've kind of exhausted. <laughs> we produced an album. Yeah. We, we, I mean, yeah, but we attempted more than 30 songs. Wow. So we've got this backlog of material that we don't quite know what to do with, which that will emerge in 10 years' time, I expect, on all the, all the special editions. We just did um, Radio 2, The Piano Room, on oh, Monday, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, our, we have this keyboard player, we've had him for um, almost, well, over 15 years, and it turns out he's an incredible string arranger, which we didn't know. I mean, this guy keeps everything to himself, and he did these remarkable string arrangements. We, we did the performance uh, Monday, and uh, we, we may do something like that. Yeah. That is yeah. piano and orchestra. And is it, are you ever tempted to revisit the early songs? You know, because you wrote them when you were kids well i mean if if you do you would do them completely differently i mean as as ron was saying you know doing this thing with just a piano and orchestra it's a very different arrangement and it has a different kind of beauty to it and, and a simplicity which is kind of wonderful so you know if we'd attempted to do something like that you may want to do some of your older material like that it's a more interesting version it's kind of like why you enjoy 
interesting covers of your songs. It's a different interpretation which makes it interesting. And what's that? There was a book. Apparently, when you were really young, was it the? Mm. Pr- it wasn't. Pr- it was Prime. Was it Primal Screen? I mean, it is the Primal. Primal the guy, what's yeah. his name? Arthur, Arthur Janov. So, who introduced you to that book? You were just in school, or no? It was um, uh, a guitar teacher. Her name's Pauline, and uh, she was um, a little bit of a hippie. She put an ad in Walker Street um, news agents, you know, offering free guitar lessons to sort of delinquent young men. So um, Kurt's brother went along. <laughs> Kurt's brother went along, and uh, I went along. And and, and um, one day, I mean, a couple of years later, Pauline said, "I'm going to LA." I said, "Why? I'm going to do a thing called primal therapy." Well, what's primal therapy? What is wrong with you if you're doing therapy? And she said, "Well, I wasn't. I'm not very happy about my childhood. I want to explore those feelings." And we we thought this is. It came out of the blue. Yeah. But she gave us the book Primal Scream. And for us, having come from sort of quite difficult backgrounds, you know, with me, a lot of domestic violence, it was like um, it was a eureka moment. Um, Our lives suddenly made sense and we became evangelical about it. And we took so many parts of that book, some chapters and, and, and wrote songs about it. And, um, Miss, you know, Dr. Arthur Yanov was following us <laughs> secretly. And when, in, when we got, um, when we were one of the biggest bands in the world in 85, he came across to London and we met our, we met God. Yes, and, we, and we thought it was it God. Turns, it turns out that he wanted to make a musical. <laughs> Wow! Primal yeah. Scream, the musical. Everyone wants to make a musical. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was it was a touch disappointing to say the least. You know, <laughs> that we were we we always thought of him as this very cerebral genius, um, but no, he just wanted to become big. Just wanted mm-hmm. show business. Yeah, yeah exactly. Show business. It's exactly what he wanted. Yeah, isn't yeah. that weird? But what an unlikely place for all yeah. those hits to come from. It is strange, and you know, and um, we. By the way, we're not no we're no longer evangelical about it. I mean, it's a form of therapy, and it's uh, been. Sort of absorbed into modern therapeutic practice yeah but I, I we can only the only comparison we can actually make with another band is you two with christianity because i don't know if you remember when they first started they were very uh you know into spreading the word oh, were so, they bible yeah. thumpy i didn't know mm. that yeah they were yeah. oh wow when they first started they were yeah um, i'm trying to think that the, is it the the killers um yes that's right they're mormon. quite yeah they're, yeah. they're what's their the mormon you Mor- are we human that's based on somebody's yeah. uh philosophy yeah. i think there you are, go. yeah there you go yeah there's a whole there's there's something in it there's perhaps well, a, I mean, a documentary and, and, and when you're <laughs> yeah. and when you're younger it makes sense as well especially in your late teens you're you're searching for answers i think you know to set you on the right path um and for us as roland said coming from you know kind of strange not strange backgrounds but our backgrounds weren't particularly happy we both grew up with single mothers um you know on council estates so it, we were searching for something and he provided some answers of yeah. course you know we went on to discover more answers it, it, yeah. it's not what there's never one answer yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, really nice to talk to you uh, good luck with everything good luck with those shows they sound that sounds like a no, night we're, out we're, yeah. we're very much looking forward to it 
Yeah. Hope the weather stays fine, point. Mm, well, <laughs> we put it this way. We're, we're going to be in England in the summertime. We're expecting some rain. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> branded rain ponchos yeah. will be available at yeah. all yeah. venues, I'm sure. Uh, really nice to see you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Bye-bye. Did we get a winner in Guess the Guest? Chef Marcus Waring joined us in the studio to give us an insight into his new BBC Two series, Tales from a Kitchen Garden, and Strictly star Johanna Saradabe fills in on his new tour, Freedom. But before we get to that, Martha gets creative with coffee and bonkers with batter. What you got? Oh, it's something <laughs> it looks, literally piping it, hot. It looks so good. <laughs> it's a nice indulgent one for a, a cool, crisp afternoon. Mm. Um, so today we've got a, a sticky coffee pudding. You heard her. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people already say, are you sure you mean Coffee, you haven't autocorrected that to toffee? It's like, no, no, I mean coffee. <laughs> Sticky coffee pudding. Okay, so uh, presumably the coffee goes where the toffee would have. So you kind of get both, to be honest. It's, you could also call it a sticky coffee toffee pudding, but a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it certainly looks like that. It comes with sauce and all sorts. It comes with sauce. It's essentially a classic sticky toffee pudding, but I've added some coffee, some lovely Waitrose Fairtrade coffee into the sponge and into the sauce. And the coffee has such a lovely kind of bitter quality that it actually makes the whole dessert slightly less intense. <laughs> Adds a nice kind of underlayer. I don't believe you for a second. <laughs> that, was, that looks quite intense. I mean, it's still an intense dessert, but sticky toffee pudding is the nation's favourite dessert, I believe, in all the polls. Everyone oh, is really? the favourite of the most, I think. Yeah, yeah, I that think. makes sense. Let's do yeah. your own poll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, crumbles got to be up there. But, I uh, agree. <laughs> <laughs> but my favourite, sticky toffee pudding. Sticky toffee pudding. Now, now with added coffee. Yeah. So is this, if you wet this at night, would, would you be wired to the wall? <laughs> I mean, if you have a sensitivity to coffee, then... Yes, but then equally, there's not loads and loads. It's a dish that should serve about six to eight people, and there's about about 125 millilitres of coffee in there in total. So, you know, you'd be all right. I'm just nodding <laughs> like I know what that is. But yeah. yes, that sounds like quite a lot of coffee. Oh, I could just lie down now. <laughs> I am full of very, very, very warm uh, sticky coffee pudding. Yes, you heard us. It's sticky coffee pudding. And this is your own recipe. It is, yes. Okay, so uh, what do we do? How hard is this to make? So we start with the the foundation of any sticky toffee pudding, which often splits the crowd, but is, of course, dates. So we're going to take 150 grams of dates, chop them up, and then pop them into a bowl, and then soak them in coffee. Okay. So that goes with a little bit of bicarbonate soda, goes to one side just to soften. And you can use kind of really fancy medjool dates if that's your bag. But equally, you can buy a packet of ready chopped dates in Waitrose that is much cheaper. And because you're soaking it in the coffee, it's going to absorb and become lovely and soft. Yeah. And it doesn't matter quite as much if they're not super jammy. So that goes to one side. And then we make our batter, which is just kind of a basic batter of butter, sugar, eggs, bit of golden syrup. Uh, and then we are going to fold through that coffee. Um, sorry, the coffee-soaked dates <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with some self-raising flour. That's your batter. Then it goes into the oven, into a nicely buttered dish for about 45 minutes. And whilst that's doing its thing, you make the coffee sauce. 
Okay. And uh, so, but the dates do the dates just melt away into the into the batter? Because I wasn't eating dates. They do. It's always amazing with dates because I've kind of grown up. My sister's not a huge fan of fruit and dates. She's always, I'm not having dates, not having dates. But sticky toffee pudding, you just don't know that they're there. I really, just adds... I really did not know they were there. <laughs> and there's quite a lot in there, but they just add this really lovely natural sweetness along with a bit of texture and make you feel like you're making something good for you. You know, <laughs> you've got to yeah. put them in there. Yeah, believe that. Believe that. <laughs> So how do we make the coffee sauce? Uh, so for the coffee sauce, you want to take some butter. It all goes into one pan, so it's super simple. But it's butter, some dark brown sugar, a teaspoon of coffee granules. And it's fair trade Fortnite, a way to sell fair trade coffee granules, which is really good because you often can't find the instant ones yeah. as fair trade. So that goes into your pan uh, with what else goes in there? With some double cream. Ooh. Nice and rich. And mm. then you just melt that over a medium heat till it's lovely and bubbly. Then when your pudding comes out of the oven, pierce holes all over it so that the sauce will sink in, drizzle over your sauce, and then serve. Now, you sold that very well. <laughs> you did sell that very well. It is delicious. It's really sumptuous and gorgeous. And if you made that for a dinner party, people would, there would be ooing and aahing. Yes, uh, that's uh, what you want, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> ooing and aahing. Um, and then you're serving it with some fresh... Uh, double cream yeah so I've just got some organic double cream um, really nice and already quite thick but you could go with custard if it's a particularly cold day and you're curling up with a bowl of this no I think I might vomit if I custard on that <laughs> I, I might actually get sick because <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot right there yeah, so yeah. maybe cream or maybe even creme fraiche or something a little bit tangy oh don't be, don't, nice. don't be silly no. <laughs> <laughs> okay absolutely not creme fraiche yes we're not at a health farm Martha we're not having creme fraiche with it uh, no, that is so good. Uh, and the recipe, if you want the full recipe, if you go to our... Well, one, it's in the this week's Waitrose Weekend newspaper. It is, yes. I'm, I'm correct, I believe. I will mm. not be contradicted there. Uh, but also, if you go to our Instagram, at Virgin Radio UK, and stab away there, you'll be led to the receipt uh, for Martha's Sticky Coffee Pudding. Thank you so much. Uh, you're back tomorrow, uh, sweet or savoury? I am. It's actually both. What? What? Say what now? <laughs> one of one of each. This is a world turned upside down. Okay. <laughs> I'm expecting that. So, way. I know. I'm so confused. <laughs> I won't sleep. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday, and I'll see you tomorrow, Martha. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Hello. Hiya. Uh, so now, I, this is, um, I mean, this seems a bit, it's a lot of pancakes you've made. <laughs> I mean, you can never just make one pancake, can you? You've no, got that, to, that is true. You've got to finish off the batter. I made a, I made a fair few, made you two different kinds. Because yes. you've got to have inspiration for pancake day. It's around the corner, Tuesday. Okay, so which one should we talk about first, sweet or savoury? Let's go with savoury first, shall we? Okay, because... so savoury, uh, the most obvious thing is this pancake is not a traditional pancake colour. <laughs> yeah, it's not a beige, it's not the beige pancake. This, this is a bright green pancake, so it almost feels healthy. Because <laughs> pancake day, as we all know, you could eat pancakes all day, all day, all day with no fruit or vegetables. So this is a good way to squeeze a few in. A bit of lemon juice. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's as far as it goes. A yeah. bit of lemon juice on the side of that pile of golden syrup. Um, but these are some salmon and herb and spinach pancakes. Mm. So we've blitzed some spinach and some herbs into our basic pancake batter and served it with some lovely Waitrose number one salmon, some cream cheese, a bit of lemon. Mm. 
makes it more of a meal. It looks gorgeous, very brunchy. Very yes, brunchy. Very brunchy. And uh, let's go to the main event then, uh, the sweet one. So I was going to ask if you're a sweet or savoury pancake man, but if this is the main event, then I'm guessing you're more well, of a I sweet. Mean... <laughs> I, I, listen, I'm going to eat both of them, but uh, <laughs> but, but let's find, you know, I, in my head, pancake dessert. So I, go. I agree. And yeah. um, this is a butterscotch and pecan brown butter pancake. So we've pip- basically we've pimped up the basic pancake batter in both cases, but just little little twists on it so that it tastes a little bit different to your bog-standard pancake. And are these uh, these are your recipes? They are, yes. Well done, you. I mean, because, yeah, that's... Uh, how did you come up with it? Well, uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk about the actual <laughs> recipes. And, and in terms of making them, is it the same basic batter in both? It is, yes. So how do we make that? So basic batter, I always have a sneaky way to remember basic batter of pancakes. I call it the one, two, three method. So with any pancakes, if you want to make kind of crepe style English pancakes, you need 100 grams of plain flour, Mm -hmm. two eggs, Mm -hmm. 300 milliliters of milk. One, two, three. But you've got to remember which is one, which yeah, you, is two, which is three. You do have to do that. <laughs> What's it? One egg? Yeah, yeah you don't want to get them muddled up. We end up with some really thick, <laughs> floury pancakes. Can you imagine? So, uh, and then in terms of making them, you know, batter not lumpy and all those things, what do you do? Do you sieve in the flour? Do you, how do you do it? So I don't sieve in the flour. I put the eggs into the bowl first, add in the flour and kind of whisk that until it makes a thick, a really thick kind of paste. And then just add your milk a little bit at a time, which will loosen it out really nicely and a couple of lumps here and there they'll cook out when you're cooking it so don't fret I like much. it yeah just <laughs> you'll a big, be alright yeah a big chewy bit of flour in the middle of it it'll be fine yeah. no one will complain <laughs> no one will complain it's covered in lemon juice and sugar okay so then uh, so that's the basic batter yes then to make the savoury one what do you do to that batter to make the savoury ones you want to take if you're making both types then make a double batch of the batter so take half your batter stick it into a food processor or a blender and add into it adding some spinach and then basically any soft herbs that you might have so things like basil or parsley coriander work really nicely so pop that into the blender as well blitz it until it's nice and fine it's okay if there's a few little chunks because Mm. you get a little bit of texture in your pancake yeah and then we're just going to fry that um in our frying pan or a crepe pan if you've got, you know, oh, if you've got all the gear. Fancy. <laughs> um, you're going to fry that on both sides. It takes a little bit longer than a classic pancake, so don't worry because it will be a little thicker with all of the extra yeah, the yeah, greenery. A yeah, yeah. yeah. um, couple of minutes on each side and then I've served it with some lovely fresh cream cheese, um, some Waitrose chestnut smoked salmon um, and some little chives on top as well. Uh, really delicious. And then the sweet one. So we've got our basic batter. What happens then? So the sweet one. So this is a brown butter pancake. This is a really simple trick that just adds lots of extra flavour. So we're going to take a little bit of butter and stick it in our frying pan before we fry our first pancake and just leave it until it's gone a little bit further than melted. So first it will melt and then if you keep heating it, the solids in the butter will start to caramelise and will turn a little bit brown and it will smell lovely and nutty and toasty. Then you scrape that into your batter and give it a good whisk. So you get that flavour right the way through the pancake. Oh, right. Okay, so you put that in the batter. Yeah. Okay, and then you... and, and I mean, in terms of turning a pancake, that's always <laughs> the difficult thing. You know, do you do the, do you do the flipping? Um, I mean, I feel like the flip is never essential. <laughs> so I did do or a few. Or successful. <laughs> a few just to be a bit show-offy. But to be honest, using a big fish slice or something like that is the best way to get a good turn on a pancake. Okay, so you... Uh, and how, With this one, how quickly... Presumably it's very quick to cook this. Yeah, so these pancakes will cook in a, cu- a couple of minutes for each one and you just want to cook them like you would regularly. And whilst they're cooking, you make your butterscotch sauce. Whoa. So for the butterscotch sauce, all you need is some butter, some double cream, soft brown sugar and some vanilla extract, 
pop that into a small saucepan and then stir it for a couple of minutes until it is lovely and molten. Season with a bit of salt and that's it. And then you've got some pecan nuts, is that right? I have, yeah. You can use any nuts, but pecans have a lovely butteriness to them, which works really nicely with that butterscotch sauce. Beautiful. If you fancy making these very special pancakes on Tuesday and impressing your friends and family, <laughs> then you can go to our uh, Instagram account, at Virgin Media UK, stab away there, and you'll be led to the receipt. Uh, thank you so much for those. You've inspired me. You are most welcome. You have inspired me. <laughs> uh, have a lovely week, and I'll see you back here at the top of the tower next weekend. You too. All right. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Right, time to meet my first guest of the day. A Michelin starred chef, restaurant owner, and now turned gardener. Uh, Marcus Waring joins us. Hello, Marcus Waring. Good morning. Nice to be here. Uh, well, you look so well and happy because on the TV show, on the uh, Tales from a Kitchen Garden, which starts tomorrow night on BBC Two at 6.30 yes. and then runs right across. We were just talking about this. Yes. It runs across for two weeks. That's right. So um, there's 10, 10 shows. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be right in your face. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And to be running every night for, for two weeks but at, at 6.30 is great. I'm so... I'm so happy. And it's a sunny day today. It just feels like a, it's another, all meant to be. another kitchen garden day. Well, can I say, it does seem like a kitchen garden day because it is sunny throughout. I mean, how did you feel? I mean, it's like, that isn't gardening. I know, <laughs> like you're, I know. You're, you're, you're striding around in your shorts looking so well and happy. <laughs> gardening, the show, is... It's through a period of time, uh, shot through seven, eight, nine weeks, whatever it was. We had some we had some wet days, but gardening is about all weathers. Uh, it's just about getting out there. I don't care what the weather is. I'm out there doing whatever I need to do. It's, it's gardening, it's farming, but also it's cooking as well, which I love. And the kitchen garden, yeah. your focus on it, was it purely because of the pandemic and, and you had to stop? Or was it something that was in your head anyway? It it was a place I found four and a half years ago. It was a small, uh, looking for a sort of a second place to go. Uh, my kids go down to school down in Tombridge, and um, I wanted something to a second place to go and hang out. And uh, and my lovely wife Jane um, always finds something that's bigger and better than I ever th- was thinking. But this particular piece of property came with this beautiful kitchen garden, orchard, beehives, and 65 acres of land. And I'm thinking. I will love the house and I love the kitchen garden, but what am I going to do with all this land? But slowly but shortly, you start to work it, think about it, meet the farmer, meet the gardener, and it all started to fall into place. I found something very special. And I could only at that time think about it as I could grow something for my kitchen at a restaurant here in London. And so I, I looked at it from that point of view. And then the whole idea started to get, I, get to, I just wanted to be more creative. But to be honest with you, I want to be a better cook. I want to be. I want to understand food from the ground, from the soil. And as a chef, all our produce arrives at the kitchen door. And you, sometimes you take that for granted. And so I wanted to get a little bit more involved. And I've got having your own garden. You get in there, you start growing, but you need someone to help you. So the show is about going to meet great suppliers and bringing them back to to the small holding and learning along the way. And watching you on the show, I mean, part of me is jealous because you look so happy and well and you're striding around in your shorts. And part of me is just exhausted because it just looks like <laughs> such hard work. Um, and that was fine when the restaurants weren't happening. Yeah. But now that the world has opened up again, is this now a huge burden, this, yeah. this thing in East Sussex? No, it's a pleasure. It's not a burden. It's a go-to place. It's a place where you arrive and you feel different. Um, you drop the London bag off your shoulders the minute you go through the gates and it's a completely different place for me. Yes, it's hard work. I, I, I say in the show that I, I'm, I'm slowing down. 
I've worked six days a week for 20, 30 years, uh, 16-hour days. My slowing down is not the same as everyone else's. <laughs> I love work. I love it. I love getting in the garden. A, slow, a slowing down day for me is I go and spend 12 hours with the pigs in the forest that I've got. And there's two mangalitsa pigs and we chop trees down and we make fire and we, I, t I get my chainsaw out and I'm clearing things up. It's just about getting out there. And I think, yes, during the pandemic, there's no two ways about it. You do reflect on life of where, you, where you've been, where you are, and also how you're going to move forward. And I'm starting to learn, Graham, that I think it's really important to have a, a balance in life. And I think this is giving me a whole new balance. And I think it's really important that reset our minds and hopefully, you know, try and move forward in a positive light. And when you say it's, you know, you want to become a better cook, mm. has it changed your cooking? working with with um you know plants and animals in this way yes it has i think it, it's changed because i'm not just a professional cook at, you know in a restaurant i'm a cook at home i'm a dad uh, i'm a husband and i have friends and i love cooking so cooking at home you you, you can all, you always go to the normal things the dishes that you cook going out and picking some vegetables and putting them over a fire and making a beautiful garlic dressing from the garlic in the garden because you, you, you put you put the potatoes or the garlic into tin foil and put them in the coal that's on the fire and you're cooking you're cooking in different ways so you're trying to find inspiration from other things and it's mother nature and of course chefs are all doing that we're always looking for something you know that's, that's different and for me a better chef is about broadening your imagination on on the horizon of great produce the farming world and the growers of of, of this country and around the world are serious heroes but they get forgotten and they get looked over sometimes and i went to meet some great people and to find out why their product their produce their animals are better than what we find in our supermarkets and it's, it's the difference is love time care great food and everything in balance it's really interesting mm. animals, also, animals that have a great life taste delicious <laughs> but it's also that weird thing isn't it where for a chef it, sometimes things are just delicious you mm. don't need to do anything to that That's you right. know which is frustrating i guess for a chef because you want to mess with it <laughs> but actually just you know just you know just serve it up it's very true and and but the best things in life are are, are, are growing the right way a good compost a good feed weeding you know making sure that you're looking after what you're growing and going through the rule everything has a process and i find with gardening and farming it's about time chefs don't have time we're the worst at time we we, we go a thousand miles an hour so it, it showed me that it's balancing things out and it's sort of starting to balance me out i think as a person that mother nature doesn't work quickly you have to work with her and then she'll deliver great product great produce and there's nothing better then when you go into your, your greenhouse and you pick a tomato, the basil's growing and you make a beautiful fresh salad with some flowers or some lavender out of your garden, a little bit of oil, a little bit of salt, touch of pepper, break the basil on top. Oh. It's delicious. And But you're eating it in the sunshine, Graham. It's just different. It's another level. It, I, already, I mean, I'm starving. Where's, <laughs> where's Martha with my pancakes? And, and what I like about you is you're very open to... To, to change, I heard you on a Desert Island Discs the mm. other night. Um, the, you know, they repeat them on something. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you were talking about how being a judge on MasterChef The Professionals has changed the way you are in the kitchen. Yes, it does. Um, I, was, I was invited to replace Michelle uh, seven, eight years ago. Um, and it, it's, 
it's an incredible TV show because you're finding the new talent, the next generation. And it's in a kitchen, you stand at the front of it and you talk to your brigade and you talk to them as if they know what they're doing. And you talk to them with fear or with aggression or with energy and whatever it is. And uh, they, you know, they're your team. When you go into MasterChef, you're giving chefs the, your view of their food, their dishes, but you're talking to the chef, but you're actually talking to the viewer. But you cannot raise your voice. You cannot swear on television. It's not allowed, especially on, the, on BBC. So you have to deliver your message in a completely different way. And what it taught me was that I can get the message through by just bringing the level down a little bit and taking the aggression out of the equation because we're running at 1,000 miles an hour and deliver the conversation or the, the, the verdict of an idea or a dish in a completely different way. And what it taught me was that when I went back to my kitchen, Rather than stand and shout and raise my voice at the, 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 the team because I'm upset or whatever it is, I'm <laughs> um, throwing my toys out the pram, um, I just talk to them, but give them real clear focus, real clear direction. And that changed the way in which I, I, I talk to my teams. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's sort of a, a eureka moment for a chef that um, you, you, you change your approach. Yeah. Basically, we just stop swearing. Well, it's that weird thing. I, I was, we were talking while Sam was singing about, I, I worked in restaurants for years, and mm. I remember the kitchen was such a terrifying place yeah. to go as a waiter because the chef was... <laughs> but it's weird. Chefs are scary, but you're saying they don't need to be scary. No, they don't. I think <laughs> back in the day, um, one of the worst things that a waiter had to do was to come into the kitchen and say to the chef, Chef, We've got a vegetarian on table two. That was the worst thing anyone could ever say to a chef. And it, for some strange reason, we'd take it out on the waiter or the waitress, and it's not their fault. It's the vegetarian. And, and But we've calmed down. But kitchens have become open places. We've invited the guests into them. Kitchens don't have walls anymore. So the chef has become part of the, 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 the lunch, the dinner, the restaurant. So we've had to quiet down a little bit. And so we've, 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 I suppose we're just taking a look at ourselves and thinking well, there's no need to shout about anything anymore let's just talk to everyone around us and actually try and enjoy the job whereas I think in the olden days I don't think many chefs enjoyed their job because it was just hard work it was sweat it was aggressive and that's all gone yeah and in terms of splitting your time now mm. uh, do you like kind of the, it, it, do you enjoy both jobs because of the contrast where you know you're on the land for some mm. of the time you're in the kitchen for some of the time is, is that how your life works now I'm I'm very lucky. Uh, I, I've I've worked for 34 years now in kitchens, and for 25 of those, I've been at the at the at the forefront of a kitchen as a chef de cuisine or an owner or a partner. And now it's about life balance. I am very lucky. I have the restaurant. I'm I'm, I'm I have Master Chef. I write cookbooks, uh, and now I've got my own TV show, and I've got this amazing garden which I go to, and I've got a family that I love spending time with, and so. Over the years, the last four or five years, I've found to balance everything out. And actually, by being able to communicate better, I can do all of these things that I've just said by just having great people around me. Because, Graham, as you know, it's not just about you or me. It's about the team that work around you. And when I made the show, Tales from Kitchen Garden, one thing that was very clear to me is that the team that, that, that the production company put around me was just a team of great people who really enjoyed what we were doing. We all believed in the journey. And if you, when you watch the show or the viewers see the show, it's me in a raw position of vulnerability, discovering food when people only ever see me as an expert in food. An expert in a chef's jacket doing my food and judging myself, yes, maybe. But the world's a big place and there's a lot to learn and I'm open to learning more. But I love making television shows. I love coming and doing radio. I love writing cookbooks and I love cookery too. I'm very lucky. And 
I'm, I'm just saying, like, are you more forgiving now? So if somebody <laughs> delivers some kind of really knobbly, ugly carrots to your kitchen, uh, are you more forgiving of them now? Because there must have been a time when you just threw them in the bin and you went, they're not, not on my table. You're absolutely right. You, you, why would I want those? No, we look at them a different way now. We have to accept that, that what can we do with it? Well, first of all, if they arrive in my kitchen, why did you buy them? <laughs> the chef de cuisine, what, what are you doing? Oh, I, I said to go, voice is still raised. <laughs> um, if I've got them in my kitchen garden, no, they're going to get. They, we're going to eat them, or the pigs will eat them, or they will get. Nothing grain will get wasted. We mustn't waste food. We must buy the right food. And I know food it can can be expensive, and we all can't buy organic, or we, we all can't buy local. But every now and again, treat yourself to something that's really delicious. That gets a little bit more money. Or, or, or my, I want to encourage people from this show to to go and get some seeds, go and get some compost, grow something. Even if it's in, just grow some, some herbs. Or if you've got a garden, go and plant something. Just one thing. And I guarantee you, you will get the bug. And when you taste that fresh product, when you've grown it and you've nurtured it and you've looked after it, I guarantee you, it will put a smile on your face and you will enjoy it. And do, do, are we going to see products now? Are they going to be Marcus wearing his homemade pickle and, you know, a, a bit of a pate? And is that all, is that on the way from the kitchen garden? Well, there's an idea. <laughs> Oh, like you haven't thought of it yet. <laughs> At the moment, no. <laughs> There's a conveyor belt clanking away as we speak. Yes, um, <laughs> at the moment, the garden is for sharing. It's for me. Uh, it's for my animals. I've got some pigs and I've got ducks. I've got sheep. I've got cows and I've got loads of things growing. I don't know, Graham. Um, the journey's just begun. I've only just put my toe into the pond of this new world and I'm discovering so much. So... Mm-hmm. No, mm. Dutch original. They've got a. They've, <laughs> they've got competition now. I'd say <laughs> that's happening. Uh, the show is called uh, kitchen, uh, Tales from a Kitchen Garden. It is a. It's a real. It's a real kind of comfort watch. Yeah. As I said, because you just look. Mm. Uh, you know, like a pig in the proverbial. Uh, you, you, you do <laughs> seem, true. you do seem very happy. It's on BBC Two. Uh, starts tomorrow, then runs right across for uh, ten nights. Thank you so much My for coming pleasure. to see you, Marcus. Take nice care of yourself. Thank you. All right. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Johanna Serrano joins me now uh, of Strictly Come Dancing fame, and now uh, he's doing his own tour. It's Freedom, uh, Freedom UK tour starts in. March, you can go to johannaslittle-live.com and you can find all the information there of tickets and where you're heading. Uh, welcome to the show, Johannes. Thank you for having me, Graham. Thank you. Uh, we are so happy to see you. Um, so this is... I, may, I can't imagine what this must feel like. It must be an extraordinary moment as a dancer where, you know, the dancer in a way is never the star. star it's true. That's <laughs> the truth. <laughs> That's the truth. And like I said the last time to you, thank goodness for platforms like Strictly Come Dance because this would have never happened. But except... It, maybe it would because what's happened is, you know, yes, you got the opportunity of Strictly, yeah. but you took it. You know what I mean? We know who you are. I'm afraid there's quite a few of those dancers. I don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have, you've kind of cut through, yeah. you know, with your personality and, and all of that. And that's down to you, not strictly. You know what? I should, I should sometimes pat myself on the back, right, Graham? I wish I failed to do. Um, but it has, it, 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 I've been dying for this opportunity. Uh, also because I saw others do it, like the Antons, like I said, and Giovanni's. And I was just like... Wow, God give me that opportunity. So for the fact, like I said, I'm here in the United Kingdom and it's finally happening. I can't, I can't tell you. It's, it's a big achievement. 
And you also have this unique selling point in that you are, obviously you'll be demonstrating ballroom and you'll be doing all the things we expect, but then you are tapping into your own heritage. Absolutely. I'm paying tribute to my African roots. And like I said to you, I want to dance to my own tune for the first time, Lord Jesus. And... It's it's incredible because like I've been I'm just saying I've been working on it this morning and I want I, I, even though I'm I'm also crossing over into the Western world I still want that African <laughs> the African beat or sense or just the, the authenticity of just just run under that as much as I'm trying to present this world but honestly it's been it's been fun doing it. And growing up, were you were you doing kind of traditional dances at the same time as you were as doing ballroom? ballroom? Yes, I did, and that was a thing. And how does that work? Are they taught in schools? Is it? Is... They're taught in schools. There, there is, there is a recreation hall where we all gather and just do and go for gold. We come together and perform as as communities and townships. So it's a whole thing. There's a culture of it around there. Um, but Borum and Latin obviously demanded much of my time and that's why I had to leave that world behind so that I could become a world champ. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you were... And also, I suppose, I mean, we talked about the, the dances never the star. In, in the traditional dances, mm-hmm. are they all group? dances or are do people kind of step forward and take solos no the people do step forward i mean that is encouraged you understand what i'm saying they like to see uniqueness and interpretation of music because what we do is we sing and we give you the beat that you deserve so you know as as we all interpret it differently and that's the beauty about it is you do whatever comes to you at the time and of course you layer it with the basics of what needs to be i think it's 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 interesting i think the world would the world would find it very interesting because i mean african zulu dancing is wild and joyous and it's a celebration and for the fact that I'm opening the show with that and to capture that I think yeah people are going to be blown away and in the show do you talk I do I have to I realize that I have to and I don't <laughs> like talking Graham I'm a man of few words but I'm I think it's important just to say to get onto that microphone and say thank you I yeah. think people also would, would, would like to hear that and a little bit of, of and make sense of it all as well. Like, you know, there'll be a narrative running to the show so that people, so it makes sense to people that does, that doesn't know of never, or, or never heard of the music or understands the culture for that matter. So there will be. And I also, be. I guess, your connection to those dancers, you know, your connection to those mu- that music. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I will, I will, I will try and articulate myself. So <laughs> when you, so, so you, you became kind of a, a, you know, you were a big ballroom star in South Africa. Now, was the the first thing you did, was it Strictly Come Dancing in South Africa? Or did you head away on your cruise first? No, that's, no, I went to my cruises first. So I was around the world first. Okay. Until this opportunity on Strictly in South Africa came by. Because they were looking for a tall black male. Oh, well, step forward. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And like I said to you, I wasn't sold on on the idea of television. It was not my thing. Cameras, lights. I was like, oh, all I want to do is just get into the studio and practice and dance against the Italians and the UK champs. That's, that was the vision. And until I, came, I, I said, well, this, it's not bad. And I guess also the, the big difference is that there's one thing being good at dancing and, and, you know, obviously you trained and you became great. But on that show, you've also got to be a teacher which is no one, no one, you know, you never, you never kind of went into dancing to think, hopefully one day I get, I get to teach some two left footed newsreader. 
and that's what I find so beautiful about it all. You know, when you see that transformation. But it is wild, isn't it? To be just stuck in a room with somebody and they say, make it work. It is bizarre, but I think that is why it works. Because it's so, I don't know, it's, it's mad. Yeah. And this year, we've got to talk about this season. Because this season, isn't it interesting that that, that silly show, that silly sparkly show, <laughs> uh-huh. touched people so much this year. I mean, obviously, there was the same-sex partnership. But also, Rose, her story was extraordinary and really moving. I can't tell you. Me and both, if, if, if John and I could vote, we would probably vote for, for Rose as well. Because every time she was on the floor, me and we were like, how... It must be crazy to be able to do that with everything that we are also experiencing, the nerves, the everything. And the fact that that woman just came out there and gave it her best every time. I was just, I was blown away, Graham. I've never seen anything that, like that it. That moment of silence in her time. That, I mean, the nation sobbed. I mean, can, was... you, can we all just agree that that was when I turned around and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's our rightful winner. So how long is the tour, how long is it going on for? I think I've got 34 dates. Wow. So I finished on the 1st of May. Okay. Um, and then you don't get much time off before the, you start rehearsing the group dances and things. But no, don't worry. Definitely, I'll be jumping on that flight and disappearing somewhere on the second, and I'll come. <laughs> I'll come back as soon as strictly starts. But I know, Graham. It's been it's been mad. It's... With strictly, how do they keep you hanging? Like, uh, you know what I mean? Do, do, you, do you kind of do you look at your flat and thinking, I wonder if I'll be paying rent on this next year, or do or do. <laughs> Or do they tell you the minute it's over, don't you worry, you're coming you, back? No, you wait. You wait for the phone call every year. And yeah, it's, that is why. Have you had it this year yet? Or not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> that Fingers tour may not be ending on the 1st of May. <laughs> <laughs> and the tour continues. <laughs> oh, Graham, Graham. <laughs> no, I'm sure you'll get the call. You'll get the call. Oh. Um, and do you... And do you talk to each other? You know, do they not just talk to each other, kind of going, I've had the call. No, it's confidential. It's your business, isn't it? No, I I don't. I don't call. I don't call. (laughs) So there's not a WhatsApp group going... Going, can you imagine if one didn't get it? Well, somebody mustn't. I mean, the good thing is Otis walked. (laughs) Listen to you. Otis walked, so that's fine. Uh, She probably would have been the person that I I would have contacted first and said, this is the situation. But it, it, yeah. I mean, we all we all waited out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what? When do you get? When does the call come? It comes early, as early as now, actually. Uh oh. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> now that he thinks about it, uh, kind of now. No, it's Normally, I know by now. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we are. <laughs> Don't even start. No, no, no. It'll be good. It'll be good. And is anyone else in in your show uh, involved in Strictly, or is it a, a cast of dancers that you have you have found? No, you know, it's it's people and everybody that I've sourced. Like I said to you, I wanted to give an opportunity to people that would would aspire to be a part of something like this and would never get the opportunity to. And uh, and it's all based on talent and what they can do. I don't care who they are and what they look like. And I just want somebody who's passionate about dance and unique. And that's what I found. What an amazing opportunity to be able to give people. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's youngsters as well. People that have just finished college that are trying to break into the industry. But they're hungry. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And back home, back in South Africa, you must be 
like this icon to people kind of thinking, well, hang on, he did it, he did this, I can do this now. Has it been an explosion in ballroom dancing in South Africa? Unfortunately, unfortunately not. And the there oppo- hasn't. The, the opposite has been happening where you just, I mean, it's just expensive, isn't it, Graham? It really is an expensive sport. And I guess because of the shoes and the costumes and all of that. And unfortunately, there's this thing. Back when I was doing it, you could still see it on television. There's nothing now. And we thank goodness for shows like Strictly Come Dancing. That's the only thing that they get to experience. But like the culture is dying. And that is why I'm so determined to go back and do the show back home and sell this dream to other kids. That would be amazing to take this tour back there. <laughs> oh, that would be crazy. It would be mad, but it's, it's, it's a plan of mine. Oh, and for your family to see it as well. Absolutely. Seeing that they have watched me shake my tush around the world. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be amazing to do it at home. Yeah, finally, shake my tush at home. There you go. Uh, Johanna, it's lovely, lovely, lovely to see you. Good luck with the tour. Uh, enjoy going to places you never thought you would. Uh, <laughs> You're going to see more Britain than I ever have. Uh, oh my God, I can just imagine. I sit here. Yeah. <laughs> I sit here and wave at people going on tour. But thank you. Thank have you fun. for your time. <laughs> You'll love oh, it. You'll I'll... love it. You'll have a great time. Oh, thank right. you. Take care. I appreciate you, my darling. And it's back. Let's see who's going to get some goodies in Guess the Guest. Guess. Yeah. Uh, the, um, Guest. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, the voice that people are trying to identify is this I one. I wrote parodies before I wrote songs. And uh, I was 17. He asked me if I ever wrote music because he wanted to do an original album. And I said, well, I write a lot of parodies to tunes and poems and things. So I think I can do it. And that has been a lifelong habit. I can't break it. It's, sometimes I finish the parody before the actual song. Okay, if one of our callers can I correctly identify that voice, in addition to feeling very smug, they will also win a Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box containing that hot drinks cup, champagne, truffles, lots of goodies courtesy of Waitrose. Uh, First on the line, we've got Leo. Hello, Leo. Hello, Graham. Hi, how are you? I'm fair to middling, thank you. Good, good. Well, you might be marvellous in a minute. Uh, where, Where are you, Leo? I'm on my way to Colchester Zoo. I've pulled in. I'm nice and safe now. Do you know, I did not know there was a zoo in Colchester. Uh, how exciting. <laughs> Lucky you. Are you going by yourself or are you bringing a gang? I'm bringing the gang. They're all in the car. <laughs> hey, cheering. Cheering you on. All right. All right, Leo. Uh, hello. Hi. Hi. Yes. What a large car. <laughs> it sounds like you're driving a bus. Uh, OK. <laughs> OK, Leo. Uh, who do you think that voice belongs to? I think it was Liza Minnelli. You think it was Liza Minnelli? Let's find out if you're right or wrong. <coughs> oh, Leo. I'm so sorry. Uh, but listen, oh, I, hope never you, mind. I hope you and the gang have a lovely time at the zoo. What a perfect day for it. Take care of yourself, sir. Thanks for playing. Bye. All the best. Bye-bye. 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 And next up, we've got Nina. Hello, Nina. Hello, Graham. How are How you? How are you? I'm all right. I was just going to ask you the same question. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. And where are you, Nina? Well, we've just arrived in Cambridge to do some shopping. I know, every the sun's th- out, so it's great. It's, it is great, isn't it? The sun is out. Uh, uh, we're told COVID's over. <laughs> Yay! Life's back to normal. <laughs> uh, enjoy your sunny Saturday in Cambridge. Uh, right, uh, let's find out how you're doing. Uh, who do you think that voice belongs to? Um, I think it's Gloria Estefan. 
Gloria Estefan, I wonder if you're right. Oh, you are! Oh, great! Well done! Yes, you are going to get the Graham Norton Weirdos gift box with all those goodies inside it. Uh, Is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the radio? Oh, thanks so much, Graham. Yes, I'd like to say hello to Martin and my children, Adela and Eden. Oh, lovely. I hope they're having a good day too. Yeah, Adela and Eden. And are you shopping for anything specific today in Cambridge? You're just nosing around. Well, I'm, I'm looking for something um, trendy to wear for a 60-year-old woman to wear to a disco gig. So I'm not sure what that would be. Okay. I'd say, I'd say something loose. Something loose and floaty. Yes. With, Always good. Yes. Always a good idea. Yeah. With maybe a legging underneath to save your blushes if you fall. <laughs> yes. That's very wise. <laughs> Thanks that's so my, much. That's my fashion advice. All right. Take care, Nina. Enjoy your day and enjoy your you. uh, enjoy your goodie box courtesy of Waitrose. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much. Boom! Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you can hear a new episode of the best of bits from the show from early Monday morning. I'll speak to you very soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.